Chapter Six of Roast Beef Medium by Edna Ferber. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Phil Chenevere. Chapter Six. Simply skirts. They may differ on the subjects of cigars, samples, hotels, ball teams, and pinochle hands, but two things there are upon which they stand united. Every member of that fraternity which is condemned to a hotel bedroom or a sleeper berth by night and chained to a sample case by day agrees in this first that it isn't what it used to be second if only they could find an opening for a nice paying gents furnishings business in a live little town that wasn't swamped with that kind of thing already they'd buy it and settle down like a white man by george and quit this peddling the missus hates it anyhow and the kids know the ice man better than they do their own dad on the morning that Mrs. Emma McChesney, representing T.A. Buck Featherloom Petticoats, finished her talk with Miss Hattie Stitch, head of Kaiser and Blotch's Skirt and Suit Department, she found herself in a rare mood. She hated her job. She loathed her yellow sample cases. She longed to call Miss Stitch a green-eyed cat, and she wished that she had chosen some easy and pleasant way of earning a living like a doing plain and fancy washing and ironing. Emma McChesney had been selling Featherloom petticoats on the road for almost ten years, and she was famed throughout her territory for her sane sunniness and her love of her work, which speaks badly for Miss Hattie Stitch. Miss Hattie Stitch hated Emma McChesney with all the hate that a flat-chested, thin-haired woman has for one who can wear a large thirty-six without one inch of alteration and a hat that turns sharply away from the face. For forty-six weeks in the year Miss Stitch existed in Kaiser and Blotch's store at River Falls. For six weeks, two in the spring, two in fall, and two in midwinter, had he lived in New York with a capital L. She went there to select the season's newest models, slightly modified for River Falls, but incidentally she took a regular trousseau with her. All day long Hattie picked skirt and suit models with unerring good taste and business judgment. At night she was a creature transformed. Every house of which Hattie bought did its duty like a soldier and a gentleman. Nightly Hattie powdered her neck and arms, performed sacred rites over her hair and nails, donned a gown so complicated that a hotel maid had to hook her up the back, and was ready for her evening's escort at eight. There wasn't a hat in a grill room from one end of Crooked Cow Path to the other that was more wildly barbaric than Hattie's, even in these sane and simple days when the bird of paradise has become the national bird. The buyer of suits for a thriving department store in a hustling little middle western town isn't to be neglected. Whenever a show came to River Falls, Hattie would look bored, pass a weary hand over her glossy coiffure, and say, Oh, yes, clever little show. Saw it two winters ago in New York. This won't be the original company, of course. The year that Hattie came back wearing a set of skunk, everyone thought it was Lynx, until Hattie drew attention to what she called the brown tone in it. After that, Old Lady Heinz got her old skunk furs out of the mothballs and tobacco and newspapers that had preserved them, and her daughter cut them up into bands for the bottom of her skirt and the cuffs of her coat. When Kaiser and Block had their fall and spring openings, 
the town came ostensibly to see the new styles, but really to gaze at Hattie in a new confection, undulating up and down the department, talking with a heavy eastern accent about this or that being smart or good this year, or having a world of style, and sort of trailing her toes after her to give a clinging Grecian line like pictures of Ethel Barrymore when she was thin. The year that Hattie confided to someone that she was wearing only scant bloomers beneath her slinky silk, the floor was mobbed, and they had to call in reserves from the basement ladies and Mrs. Ready to Wear. Miss Ditch came to New York in March. On the evening of her arrival she dined with fat Ed Myers of the Strauss Sans Silk Skirt Company. He informed her that she looked like a kid, and that that was some classy little gown. And it wasn't every woman who could wear that kind of thing and get away with it. It took a certain style. Hattie smiled, and hummed off-key to the tune the orchestra was playing, and Ed told her it was a shame she didn't do something with that voice. "'I have to tell you something,' said Hattie. "'Just before I left I had a talk with old Kaiser. Or rather he had a talk with me. You know I have pretty much my own way in my department. Pity if I couldn't have.' I made it. Well, Kaiser wanted to know why I didn't buy Featherlooms. I said we had no call for them, and he came back with figures to prove we're losing a good many hundreds a year by not carrying them. He said the Strauss sans silk skirt isn't what it used to be, and he's right. Oh, say, objected Ed Myers. It's true, insisted Hattie. But I couldn't tell him that I didn't buy Featherlooms because McChesty made me tired. Besides, she never entertains me when I'm in New York. Not that I'd go to the theater in the evening with a woman, because I wouldn't. But, say, listen, why don't you make a play for her job? As long as I've got to put in a heavy line of Featherlooms, you may as well get the benefit of it. You could double your commissions. I'll bet that woman makes her I don't know how many thousands a year." Ed Myers's naturally ruddy complexion took on a richer tone, and he dropped his fork hastily. As he gazed at Miss Stitch his glance was not more than half-flattering. "'How you women do love each other, don't you? You don't. I don't mind telling you, my firm's cutting down its road force, and none of us knows who's going to be beheaded next. But. Well, a guy wouldn't want to take a job away from a woman, especially a square little trick like McChesney. Of course she's played me a couple of low-down deals, and I promised to get back at her, but that's business. But so's this, interrupted Miss Hattie Stitch, and I don't know that she is so square. Let me tell you that I heard she's no better than she might be. I have it on good authority that three weeks ago at the river house in our town their heads came close together over the little rose-shaded restaurant table. At eleven o'clock next morning fat Ed Myers walked into the office of the T.A. Buck Featherloom Petticoat Company and asked to see old T.A. He's in Europe, a stenographer informed him, spang and sprudling and baddening. Want to see T.A. Jr.? T.A. Jr.? almost shouted Ed Myers. You mean to tell me that fellow's taken hold? Believe me, that's why Featherlooms are soaring and sand silks are sinking. Nobody would have believed it. T.A. Jr.'s got a live wire looking like a stick of licorice. When they thought old T.A. was going to die, 
Young T.A. seemed to straighten out all of a sudden and take hold. It's about time. He must be almost forty, but he don't show it. I don't know. He ain't so good-looking, but he's got swell eyes. Ed Myers turned the knob of the door marked private and entered, smiling. Ed Myers had a smile so cherubic that involuntarily you armed yourself against it. Hello, Buck, he called jovially. I hear that at last you're taking an interest in skirts, other than on the hoof. And he offered young T.A. a large, dark cigar with a fussy-looking band encircling its middle. Young T.A. looked at it disinterestedly and spake, saying, What are you after? Why, I just dropped in, began Ed Myers lamely. The dropping, observed T.A. Jr., is bad around here this morning. I have one little formula for all visitors today, regardless of whether they're book agents or skirt salesmen. That is, what can I do for you? Ed Myers tucked his cigar neatly into the extreme right corner of his mouth, pushed his brown derby far back on his head, rested his strangely lean hands on his plump knees, and fixed T.A. Jr. with a shrewd blue eye. That suits me, he agreed. I never was one to beat around the bush. Look here. I know skirts from the drawstring to the ruffle. It's a woman's garment, but a man's line. There's fifty reasons why a woman can't handle it like a man. For one thing, the packing cases weigh twenty-five pounds each, and she's as dependent on a packer and a porter as a baby is on its mother. Another is that if a man has to get up to make a train at four a.m., he don't require twenty-five minutes to fasten down three sets of garters and braid his hair and hook his waist up the back and miss the train, and he don't have neuralgic headaches. Then the head of a skirt department in a store is a woman ten times out of ten. And let me tell you, he leaned forward earnestly, a woman don't like to buy of a woman. Don't ask me why. I'm too modest. But it's the truth. Well, said young T.A. with a rising inflection. Well, finished Ed Myers, I like your stuff. I think it's great. It's a seller with the right man to push it. I'd like to handle it. And I'll guarantee I could double the returns from your Middle Western territory. T.A. Jr. had strangely translucent eyes. Their luminous quality had an odd effect upon anyone on whom he happened to turn them. He had been scrawling meaningless curly cues on a piece of paper as Ed Myers talked. Now he put down the pencil, turned, and looked Ed Myers fairly in the eye. You mean you want Mrs. McChesney's territory, he said quietly. Well, yes, I do, confessed Ed Myers without a blush. Young T.A. swung back to his desk, tore from the pad before him the piece of paper on which he had been scrawling, crushed it, and tossed it into the wastebasket with an air of finality. Take the second elevator down, he said. The nearest one's out of order. For a moment Ed Myers stared, his fat face purpling. Oh, very well, he said, rising. I just make you a business proposition, that's all. I thought I was talking to a businessman. Now, old T.A. That'll be about all, observed T.A. Jr. from his desk. Ed Myers started toward the door. Then he paused, turned, and came back to his chair. His heavy jaw jutted out threateningly. No, it ain't all, either. I didn't want to mention it, and if you treated me like a gentleman, I wouldn't have. But I want to say to you that McChesney's giving this firm a black eye. Morals don't figure with a man on the road, 
but when a woman breaks into this game she's got to be on the level t a junior rose the blond stenographer who had made the admiring remark about his eyes would have appreciated those features now they glowed luminously into ed meyer's pale blue ones until that gentleman dropped his eyelids in confusion he seemed at a disadvantage in every way as t a junior's lean graceful height towered over the fat man's bulk i don't know mrs mcchesney said t a junior i haven't seen her in six years my interest in the business is very recent i do know that my father swears she's the best salesman he has on the road before you go any further i want to tell you that you'll have to prove what you just implied so definitely and conclusively and convincingly that when you finish you'll have an ordinary engineering blueprint looking like a turner landscape begin ed myers still standing clutched his derby tightly and began she's a looker emma is and smooth as the top of your desk but she's getting careless now a decent hard-working straight girl like miss hattie stitch of kaiser and blotches river falls won't buy of her you'll find you don't sell that firm and they buy big too why last summer i had it from the clerk of the hotel in that town that she ran around all day with a woman named lahay blanche lahay of an aggregation of bum burlesquers called the sam levin crackerjack bells and say for a whole month there she had a tough young kid traveling with her that she called her son oh she's queering your line all right the days are past when it used to be a signal for a loud merry laugh if you mentioned you were selling goods on the road it's a fine art and a science these days and the name of t a buck has always stood for downstairs a trim well-dressed attractive woman stepped into the elevator and smiled radiantly upon the elevator man who had smiled first hello jake she said what's old in new york i haven't been here in three months it's good to be back seems grand to see you mr mcchesney returned jake well nothing much stern what you think of the grand central i understand they're going to have a contrivance so you can stand on a mat in the waiting room and wish yourself down to the track and train that you're leaving on the giants have picked a bunch of shines this season uh, t a junior's got a new sixty-power auto genevieve that yellow-haired steno was married last month to henry the shipping clerk my wife presented me with twin girls monday well thank you mrs mcchesney i guess that'll help some Emma McChesney swung down the hall and into the big bright office. She paused at the head bookkeeper's desk. The head bookkeeper was a woman. Old man Buck had learned something about the faithfulness of women employees. The head bookkeeper looked up and said some convincing things. Thanks, said Emma in return. It's mighty good to be here. Is it true that skirts are going to be full in the back? How's business? T.A.N.? Young T.A. is, but I think he's busy just now you know t a senior isn't back yet he had a tight squeeze i guess everybody's talking about the way young t a took hold you know he spent years running around europe and he made a specialty of first nights and first editions and french cars when he did show up here but now he's changed the advertising and designing and cutting departments around here until there's as much difference between this place now and the place it was three months ago as there is between a hoop skirt and a hobble. He designed one skirt. Here, Miss Kelly, 
Just go in and get one of those embroidery flounce models for Mrs. McChesney. How's that? Honestly, I'd wear it myself. Emma McChesney held the garment in her two hands and looked it over critically. Her eyes narrowed thoughtfully. She looked up to reply when the door of T.A. Buck's private office opened, and Ed Myers walked briskly out. Emma McChesney put down the skirt and crossed the office so that she and he met just in front of the little gate that formed an entrance along the railing. Ed Meyer's mouth twisted itself into a smile. He put out a welcoming hand. Why, hello, stranger. When did you drive in? How's every little thing? I'm darned if you don't grow prettier and younger every day of your sweet life. Quit sand silk? inquired Mrs. McChesney briefly. Why, no, but I was just telling young T.A. in there that if I could only find a nice paying little gent's furnishing business in a live little town that wasn't swamped with that kind of thing already, I'd buy it by George. I'm tired of this peddling. Sing that, said Emma McChesney. It might sound better. And marched into the office marked private. T.A. Jr.'s good-looking back and semi-bald head were turned toward her as she entered. She noted, approvingly, woman fashion, that his neck would never lap over the edge of his collar in the back. Then young T.A. turned around. He gazed at Emma McChesney, his eyebrows raised inquiringly. Emma McChesney's honest blue eyes, with no translucent nonsense about them, gazed straight back at T.A. Jr. "'I'm Mrs. McChesney. I got in half an hour ago. It's been a good little trip, considering business and politics and all that.' I'm sorry to hear your father's still ill. He and I always talked over things after my long trip. Young T.A.'s expert eye did not miss a single point. From the tip of Mrs. McChesney's smart spring hat to the toes of her well-shod feet, with full stops for the fit of her tailored suit, the freshness of her gloves, the clearness of her healthy pink skin, the wave of her soft bright hair. How do you do, Mrs. McChesney, said young T.A. emphatically. Please sit down. It's a good idea, this talking over your trip. There are several little things. Now, Kaiser and Block, of River Falls, for instance, we ought to be selling them. The head of their skirt and suit department is named Stitch, isn't she? Now, what would you say of Miss Stitch? Say, repeated Emma McChesney quickly, as a woman or a buyer? T.A. Jr. thought for a minute, as a woman. Mrs. McChesney thoughtfully regarded the tips of her neatly gloved hands. Then she looked up. The kindest and gentlest thing I can say about her is that if she let her hair grow out gray, maybe her face wouldn't look so hard. T.A. Jr. flung himself back in his chair and threw back his head and laughed at the ceiling. Then, how old is your son, with disconcerting suddenness? Jock's scandalously near eighteen. In her quick mind, Emma McChesney was piecing odds and ends together and shaping the whole to fit fat Ed Myers. A little righteous anger was rising within her. T.A. Jr. searched her face with his glowing eyes. Does my father know that you have a young man's son? Queer you never mentioned it. Queer? Maybe. Also, I don't remember ever having mentioned what church my folks belonged to or where I was born or whether I liked my steak rare or medium, or what my maiden name was, or the size of my shoes, or whether I take my coffee with or without. That's because I don't believe in dragging private and family affairs into the business relation. 
I think I ought to tell you that on the way in I met Ed Myers of the Strauss Sand Silk Skirt Company coming out. So anything you say won't surprise me. You wouldn't be surprised, asked T.A. Jr. smoothly, if I were to say that I'm considering giving a man your territory. Emma McChesney's eyes, those eyes that had seen so much of the world in its ways, and that still could return your gaze so clearly and honestly, widened until they looked so much like those of a hurt child or a dumb animal that has received a death wound that young T.A. dropped his gaze in confusion. Emma McChesney stood up. Her breath came a little quickly, but when she spoke her voice was low and almost steady. If you expect me to beg for my job, you're mistaken. T.A. Buck's Featherloom Petticoats have been my existence for almost ten years. I've sold Featherlooms six days in the week and seven when I had a Sunday customer. They've not only been my business and my means of earning a livelihood, they've been my religion, my diversion, my life, my pet pastime. I've lived petticoats, I've talked petticoats, I've sold petticoats, I've dreamed petticoats. Why, I've even worn the darn things, and that's more than any man will ever do for you. Young T.A. rose. He laughed a little laugh of sheer admiration. Admiration shone, too, in those eyes of his which so many women found irresistible. He took a step forward and laid one well-shaped hand on Emma McChesney's arm. She did not shrink, so he let his hand slip down the neat blue serge sleeve until it reached her snugly gloved hand. "'You're all right,' he said. His voice was very low, and there was a new note in it. Listen, girlie, I've just bought a new sixty-power machine. Have dinner with me tonight, will you? And we'll take a run out in the country somewhere. It's warm even for March. I'll bring along a fur coat for you, hmm? Mrs. McChesney stood thoughtfully regarding the hand that covered her own. The blue of her eyes and the pink of her cheeks were a marvel to behold. It's a shame, she began slowly, that you're not twenty-five years younger so that your father could give you the licking you deserve when he comes home. I shouldn't be surprised if he'd do it anyway. The Lord preserve me from these quiet, deep devils with temperamental hands and luminous eyes. Give me one of the bull-necked, red-faced, horse-voiced fresh kind every time. You know what they're going to say, at least, and you're prepared for them. If I were to tell you how the hand you're holding is tingling to box your ears, You'd marvel that any human being could have that much repression and live. I've heard of this kind of thing, but I didn't know it happened often off the stage and outside of novels. Let's get down to cases. If I let you make love to me, I keep my job. Is that it? Why, no, I... To tell the truth, I was only... Don't embarrass yourself. I just want to tell you that before I'd accept your auto-ride, I'd open a little fancy art goods and needlework store in Menominee, Michigan, and get out the newest things in hard-danger work and Egyptian embroidery. And that's my notion of zero in occupation. Besides, no plain everyday working woman could enjoy herself in your car because her conscience wouldn't let her. She'd be thinking all the time how she was depriving some poor, hard-working chorus girl of her legitimate pastime, and that would spoil everything. The elevator man told me that you had a new motor car, but the news didn't interest me half as much as that of his having new twin girls. 
Anything with $5,000 can have a 60-power machine, but only an elevator man on $8 a week can afford the luxury of twins. My dear Mrs. McChesney! Don't, said Emma McChesney sharply. I couldn't stand much more. I joke, you know, when other women cry. It isn't so wearing. She turned abruptly and walked toward the door. T.A. Jr. overtook her in three long strides and placed himself directly before her. My cue, said Emma McChesney with a weary brightness, to say, let me pass, sir. Please don't, pleaded T.A. Jr. I'll remember this the rest of my life. I thought I was a statue of modern business methods. But after today, I'm going to ask the office boy to help me run this thing. If I could only think of some special way to apologize to you. Oh, it's all right, said Emma McChesney indifferently. But it isn't. It isn't. You don't understand. That human jellyfish of a Myers said some things, and I thought I'd be clever and prove them. I can't ask your pardon. There aren't words enough in the language. Why, you're the finest little woman. You're... You'd restore the faith of a cynic who had chronic indigestion. I wish I... Say, let me relieve you of a couple of those small towns that you hate to make, and give you Cleveland and Cincinnati, and let me... Why, say, Mrs. McChesney, please, don't. This isn't the time to... I can't help it, sobbed Emma McChesney, her two hands before her face. I'll stop in a minute. There, I'm stopping now. For heaven's sake, stop patting me on the head. Please don't be so decent to me, entreated T.A. Jr., his fine eyes more luminous than ever. If only you try to get back at me, I wouldn't feel so cut up about it. Emma McChesney looked up at him, a smile shining radiantly through the tears. Very well, I'll do it. Just before I came in, they showed me that new embroidery flounced model you just designed. Maybe you don't know it. But women wear only one limp petticoat nowadays, and buttoned shoes. The eyelets in that embroidery are just big enough to catch on the top button of a woman's shoe and tear and trip her. I ought to have let you make up a couple million of them and then watch them come back on your hands. I was going to tell you anyway for T.A. Sr.'s sake. Now I'm doing it for your own. For—began T.A. Jr. excitedly, and found himself addressing— the backs of the letters on the door marked private as it slammed after the trim, erect figure in blue. End of chapter 6